All right, so we're going to start this new series for the next five times that I speak. Uh, uh, that the Bible doesn't, not didn't, doesn't say that. Um, and let me ask you this question first off. Are there any phrases, kind of growing up or even now, that you, or, or words that you use that take a little bit of explanation to somebody who maybe doesn't understand them? Anything like that? Yes. Look, just pick one. Just pick one. Go on, quickly, Alan. Siding things. What's that? Siding. Siding. Yes. Siding. Siding. And what do you mean by that? Putting things away. Putting things away. Putting things siding things. Is that anybody else said that? Okay, anything else? Give us a shout. That's not one I've heard of. Um, anybody else? Playing on the causey. Playing on the causey. And that means? Playing out on the pavement. Playing out on the pavement. Okay, go on. We used to have a pod every Saturday morning. A pod Yeah, a pod And it means? It means pushing dad out of bed. It was a wrestling match. Pushing dad out of bed. He always, end, he always used to end up out of bed just at the moment when mum had finished in the bathroom. It was really peculiar. That was peculiar, wasn't it? They did it just that right time. I've got one. My mother used to say to me, this room, your room looks like a midden. Anybody here? Yeah, you see the Yorkshire folk know that one. Or maybe even some of the non-Yorkshire folk, I don't know. Your room looks like a midden. One sec, Mark. Um, and, and that means, uh, and, and I didn't know actually, I asked my mother, what does that, what does that mean? And she didn't know. She went, I don't know. My mother used to say it to me. So when my grandmother was alive, I went to my grandmother and said, what does that mean? And she said, it's an outside toilet. Yes. Yeah. So, so my mother was saying that my room like an outside toilet. Thanks, mum. It's not that bad. Or a, it's come from an old, an old word that means kind of a rubbish dump. Do you take your things out there, tip, all that kind of stuff. Mark, do you want to shout that out loud? Yesterday was another country. We did things. De- wow, she sounded like she was some kind of poet or something. <laughs> and what did that mean for her? So looking back to her childhood, things like that. So we've got loads of phrases, haven't we, that we use that that have weird and wonderful uh, uh, meanings and things that maybe have, have kind of have come out of uh, uh, culture. Well, here's this here's this phrase then: God helps those who helps themselves. That's from Acts 11, verse 14. No, it's not. It, <laughs> it really isn't. It sounds biblical, doesn't it? it well, you can say yes, I thought it does. I think it sounds biblical. But obviously, it isn't, because it's actually quite against everything that the Bible um, teaches us. So, um, in Jeremiah 17... <laughs> Verse, verse 5 to 6 says this cursed is the strong one who depends on mere humans he who thinks he can make it on muscle alone and sets God aside as dead weight or even Proverbs twenty-eight twenty-six: if you think you know it all you're a fool for sure real survivors learn wisdom from others I love that one don't you love that one I'm going to read it again because I love it so much Proverbs twenty-eight twenty-six: if you think you know it all you're a fool I love it how the Bible just says it as it is <laughs> Real survivors, this is from the message translation, by the way, the message translation or the message version. Real survivors learn wisdom from others. And that's what church for me is all about. Learning wisdom from others. People that I wouldn't in any other walk of life engage with. I wouldn't know a number of you if it hadn't been for church and getting to know you. And that's the amazing thing about coming together and gathering as a local church. You meet all sorts of wonderful and weird people, don't you? I'm the weird person. You're all wonderful. So, um, where does it come from then? God, those, God uh, helps those who help themselves. Well, a similar phrase was used in, in, in Greek, the early Greek plays, and then various other writings over the centuries. But the actual correct wording comes from two guys who recorded it as using it like that first. The first one is somebody I've, ever, I've never known. He was an English poet. 
uh, from the 1600s, a guy called Algernon Sidney. Anybody know Algernon Sidney? I don't know if that's a... Algernon, thank you. See, I, I don't know how to pronounce his name. There we go. Algernon. What a, what a name. Okay, Algernon Sidney. And then later, by somebody who I can pronounce a lot better, Benjamin Franklin in the 1700s. And he's recognised as what? Do you know what? He was never a president. I almost wrote that down, but I investigated it a little bit via Wikipedia. And, and he's not, he, ne- he was never a president. He was a founding father and he signed the Indep- Declaration of Independence. But anyway, you know him. So he used that in one of his particular uh, uh, almanacs. I think it was a poor Richard's almanac or something. He used that for, ask me what it is. It was an almanac he created. Look, Here's the truth. I'm trying to whisk through this. I'm aware of time, but I want, to, I want you to really, really sink in. Because here's the truth. We can ask God for help. Yes. We can. We re- really, really can. But then we make an error, I think, by expecting God to do everything himself. It's a little bit like this, okay? You ask me to help you move some furniture, and then you stand there and watch me do it. <laughs> Another example is, will you come and fix my computer... Help, help me fix my computer. In other words, will you do it while I make you a cup of tea? That's, that's what that is. <laughs> From personal experience, I can absolutely do that, and that's fine. Um, if we're asking God and then waiting for him to move, we can point to the fact that God will provide according to his will and according to his timing. After all, it says something like this in the Bible, the word of God. It says you can be sure that God will take care of everything you need. His generosity exceeding even yours in the glory that pours from Jesus. I could do a whole preach about that, but that's cool, isn't it? That's cool. That's good. That's a good thing. However, this isn't a legitimate reason for doing nothing. It's like this. Again, let me give you another example. If we're in need of a job, we can ask God to help us find a job. Yeah? Yeah? Okay. But then we need to be actually active in looking for that job. Okay? Because while it is absolutely in his power to uh, do so, it's not very likely that God will make employers come looking for us. Anybody, any employer ever gone looking for an employee? Not on LinkedIn. No, you don't do that. So we do our bit, don't we? We ask God for help, then we do our bit. So ultimately, my message this morning is this. If we seek after the kingdom of God, that is, that means his rule and his reign, we will find direction for our lives. But we do this by humbly submitting to God's will and placing this first and before anything else. We put God's will first and before anything else. And for some of us, that will take a real shift in our thinking. I'm not looking at you and pointing at it. I'm just, it's just gem, a, a royal we. A royal we will need we to, to have a real shift in our attitudes and our wants. Okay, so I'm going to read you a bit of scripture again, a bit, of, a bit from the Bible. This is from Matthew. You want to turn to it, I think. I'm going to read from the message, which again is a more uh, a speaker-friendly uh, version of the Bible. It just puts things across in a bit more of a modern language. So if you can't follow exactly in your Bible, then I apologize. But Matthew 6, verses 20, from verse 25. Okay, listen to that. I'm going to read it through, then I'm going to break it down, okay? If you decide for God, living a life of God worship 
it follows that you don't fuss about what's on the table at mealtimes or whether the clothes in your closet are in fashion. There is more to your life than the food you put in your stomach, more to your outer appearance than the clothes you hang on your body. Look at the birds, free and unfettered, not tied down to a job description, careless in the care of God, and you count far more to him than birds. This is truth, folks. You can smile and agree if you think this is good. Okay, has anyone, by fussing in front of the mirror, ever gotten taller by so much as an inch? All this time and money wasted on fashion. Do you think it makes that that much of a difference? Instead of looking at the fashions, walk out into the fields and look at the wildflowers. They never primp or shop. But have you you ever seen colour and design quite like it? The ten best-dressed men and women in the country look shabby alongside them. The Bible, in this version, the best-looking man looks rubbish against a wildflower that was created by God. If God gives such attention to the appearance of wildflowers, most of which are never even seen, don't, think he, don't, don't you think he'll attend to you? Take pride in what you do. Do his best, best for you. What I'm trying to do here is to get you to relax, to not be so preoccupied with getting so that you can respond to God's giving. People who don't know God and the way he works fuss over these things. But you know God. You know how he works. Steep your life in God reality, God initiative, God provisions. And don't worry about missing out. You'll find all your everyday human concerns will be met. Amen. That was Jesus speaking, by the way. And he knows what he's talking about. Let me break it down. If you decide for God, let's stop there. If we decide something, if we decide something, I don't believe that God will trample over all our choices. I don't believe that. If we make it, I don't think God will trample over it. And I don't want to get into a debate right now about free will or predestination. Um, If you know what that means, then maybe we need to have a debate sometime. Um, I don't want to get into that. But I think we should accept that we're all personally responsible for our attitudes and our lifestyle decisions. We are all personally responsible. It is no good looking out there. You've got to look in here. We are responsible. That's what I think anyway. And listen, God will make, will work with the choices we make. But the best way really is his way. Who agrees with that? The best way is his way. It goes on to say, living a life of God worship. So what does that mean? Well, when we decide for God, that means when we make a commitment to him, to follow him, to accept him as our Lord, Savior and friend, when we do that, it, it isn't just God on a weekend. It isn't just God on a Sunday morning. Actually, what that really means is it's a 24-7, 365-day commitment. And, and as, as we read on through this verse again, we'll, let's, let's take careful note about what happens when we work out our God-orientated life with a God-focused purpose. Okay? So let's read on. It follows that you don't fuss about what's on the table at mealtimes or whether the clothes in your closet or closet are in fashion. There is more to your life than the food you put in your stomach, more to your outer appearance than the clothes you hang on your body. Kathy said last week in a sentence, she said, comparison is a killer. Comparison is a killer. And I think we could all do with muttering this to ourselves the moment we look in the mirror or when we spark up Instagram and apply the right filter. Okay. Our lives are not meant to be some peer-pressured race to the sop. 
top, only to consistently find that there's a, there's a bigger mountain of false self-worth waiting to be climbed. When we take that path, when, when we take that path of comparing ourselves consistently to others, we'll eventually find a mountain that we can't conquer. And how low do we feel then? The high of expectation then is just forever out of reach. Do you hear what I'm saying? Comparison is a killer. God has made you and he loves you. And you're the best person that you can be when you're following him and obeying his will. Look at the birds, it goes on to say, free and unfettered. Not tied down to a job description, careless in the care of God. You, 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 all of you, count far more to him than birds. God loves you. He loves you. Every single one of you. More than anything else in the world. Do you believe that? Okay. Even before you've made, this is it, this is the cool thing. Even before you've made a genuine commitment to follow him as Lord and Savior, he loves you. Even if you don't know him or refuse to believe in him, this doesn't change the fact that you are the apple of his eye. It really, really doesn't. Like a, a patient parent waiting for you to finish your tantrum, he's ready to pick you up and hold you close. Isn't that beautiful? Now hear me, this doesn't mean that we can do bad stuff. And that this doting dad will just smile sycophantically. It means, hmm, oh, oh, they can do no wrong. Oh, look at them. It's so beautiful. Oh, you go ahead and destroy that mirror. You go ahead and burgle our house. It is, it's, that's, not a, that's not the dad that we've got. It's not what he's got. Like a good parent, he will keep us safe from harm. And that means stopping us doing stuff that we think is cool when the reality is it's really quite different. And like a good parent, he sometimes needs to work out stuff with us in much stronger terms. In other words, he's also a God of justice. And, and doing bad stuff, that means committing sinful acts are not acceptable. And there does need to be a reckoning. And here's the thing, the greatest reckoning being when God sent his own son to die on the cross for you and for me. To take the punishment we deserved for all our sin, all our bad thoughts, our actions, our attitudes, and that is the past, present and future. He took it upon himself at the cross so that we can now have unfettered access to the Father. It's a little bit like the story of the judge. I'm going to just knuckle this down to the story of the judge. I'm not going to go into it long. That after handing down the punishment for a criminal who also happened to be his friend, he got down from behind that big judgment desk and paid the fine himself. So there's a, there's a reckoning that has to be had. There's a justice that has to be done. But he's a loving father who's willing to take it upon himself that you deserved. He took it upon him. God thinks so much of you that he did that. And again, I'll say a popular phrase that I'm sure some of us who are believers for a long time have heard. If you were the only person in the world that he needed to go to the cross for, he would still have done it. Has anyone, by fussing in front of the mirror, ever gotten taller by so much as an inch? Anyone? Anyone ever done that? You got taller? Maybe if you go like that, I don't know. All this time and money wasted on fashion, do you think it makes that much of a difference? 
Instead of looking at the fashions, walk out into the fields and look at the wildflowers. They never primp nor shop, but have you ever seen colour and design quite like it? The ten best dressed men and women in the country look shabby alongside them. And here's what that means. In other words, God, what God has created, he thinks of as good. When God looked back at the creation and he saw all that he had made, he said what? He said it was very good. He said it was very good. Not just good, but very good. And we, we are part of this creation. In fact, we're the pinnacle of creation. So in God's mind, we, that's you and me, we're very good. And God's view of ourselves should be the only view that matters. I want to repeat that again because that's important. The God's view of ourselves should be the only view that matters. From verse 30, if God gives such attention to the appearance of wildflowers, most of which are never even seen, don't you think he'll attend to you, take pride in you, do his best for you? What I'm trying to do here is to get you to relax, to be not so preoccupied with getting so that you can respond to God's giving. People who don't know God and the way he works fuss over these things, but you know both God and the way he works. Steep your life in God reality, God initiative, God provisions. Don't worry about missing out. You'll find your everyday human concerns will be met. And that last verse, verse 33, really is repeating. Steep your life in God reality. God initiative, God provisions. Don't worry about missing out. You will find all your everyday human concerns will be met. And in other translations, it's presented as to us like this. In the Amplified Version, it says this. But first, and most importantly, aim at, strive after his kingdom and his righteousness. His way of doing things and, and being right. The attitude and the character of God. And all these things will be added to you. And the New International Version will be familiar to even more of us. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. In this final verse of that bit of scripture, Jesus calls for us to seek after the kingdom of God first, not ourselves. If we seek after the kingdom of God first, everything else in our lives will fall into place. But here's the thing, I know and understand that that's a real struggle for each and every one of us. That is a struggle every day. And it's a high ideal and it's one in which we desire. But ultimately, probably, we all fail to a degree. And we fail possibly because the, the, the world modern culture in which we live idolizes self-sufficiency. Everyone needs to take care of themselves first. Look out for number one. Focus on your needs before anybody else's. Is that true? Is that what the world says to us? I believe it is. That's what the world tells us. We live in a worldly culture that really doesn't allow for selfless acts. And if you want the evidence, then, then when they occur, why do they make the news? Do you, do you know what I mean? So, for example, that one, buy one coffee and pay for the person behind. Uh, that became a thing a while back, didn't it? Or, or toll fees paid for the car behind. These things make the news. They're like, wow, look what somebody's done. Look how generous they are. Because it's not something that our world out there promotes. It's putting yourself first before anybody else. So if you do it differently, all of a sudden that's, that's news and we want to know about it. How I'd... <laughs> yeah. 
So, yeah, these things are good, and they are to be celebrated. They, re- they really are. When people do lovely and nice stuff, they really are to be celebrated. But I'd love to live in the wider world where we celebrate the normal. And, and, and the kingdom of God is the normal. And, and, it, and it looks like this. If we prioritize God and his kingdom over everything, we'll find that our attitudes change, our lives are transformed, and ultimately, our needs will be taken care of. God's, God's plan for your lives is that we focus on his kingdom first, and then God will take care of everything else. Following Jesus, this is a key sentence, following Jesus then is about living a selfless life. It's about living a selfless life. So let me clarify then this big, crazy sounding idea that if we, if we focus on seeking God, there'll be nothing in life that we need to worry about. Our, our relationship with God needs to be our top priority. And that's what this final verse is stressing. I found an article um, <clears throat> online. It's the three mistakes most people make when they're setting priorities. Okay, number one, they don't think about it. Number two, they make it too complicated. And number three, they don't live their priorities. Let me break those down. Number one, they don't think about it. We, we do our work and we live our lives without consciously setting priorities. We may look like we have priorities, but we're just kind of stumbling from one decision to the next. Somehow giving this semblance of order. But what happens is, that in reality, we hardly ever end up doing what we planned to do in the first place. So here's how we apply it to God. Are we making firm decisions about putting God first? Or are we just hoping that as believers, we'll remember him when we need to? Are we marking out that prayer time down in actual calendars, on actual paper, or on actual electronic devices? Are we marking it down and, 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 and striking out that time to spend time soaking and worshipping him? And not just when we can fit him in, but actually prioritizing our lives, our calendar around the things of God. Number two was, they make it too complicated. So about setting priorities, make it too complicated. So unlike number one, some of us do set priorities. But then the opposite effect happens, and and, and we find ourselves putting ourselves under pressure. Loads of pressure. We expect that we will be able to fit everything in. Who's this? Who's this sounding like? Because it sounds a bit like me. Oh, you don't want to put your hand up. Okay, that's fine. We expect, if we go the other whole the way, for example, one, we find that we live our lives out from a spreadsheet or a calendar app. And if we do this, we're not being realistic because what ends up happening instead is that some of those priorities get put on the back burner, as it were. Delayed for another day. We, we push the snooze button on them. And how many of us then give up on seeking God and spending time with him and this planned goal, how many of us end up putting him on the back burner? Hand on heart, we want to spend time with him. But before we know it, weeks have passed and he's the one that keeps getting shunted to the week after. To the, he keeps getting kicked down the road because we've got too much going on in our calendars and our apps. And the third one was they don't live their priorities. And here's another cool one. It is really one thing to genuinely set priorities. It's another to live them out. What we actually do, how we live our lives reveals our priorities. 
Our priorities could be said to be what we live and not just what we put on paper. Seeking first the kingdom of God is, is a pretty simple priority, I think. But a deeply necessary one for us. Do our lives say by example that God is our top priority? The very object of which our world revolves. Wow, I have rushed through this. Let me get to this. I want you to take away these important points from this morning. Decide to choose God over everything. Maybe you need to choose to follow him this morning. Worship him. In fact, realize that even though I've talked of priorities over the last 25 minutes, here's actually where all your priorities lay. That, 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 that this is God and your priorities are in here. Not, not, not this is life and God is here and work is here and fun is here and whatever else is here. This is God. And your priorities are in him. Nothing is outside of him. And he is absolutely worthy of your time and your praise. Outside of him, you have never existed. And think of yourself of how he thinks of you. Bill Johnson is quoted from a church in in the States. He says this, and this is brilliant. I can't afford to have a single thought about myself that God doesn't have about me. And guess what? God thinks that you are very good. And finally, this is the thing. Seek first his kingdom. That's his will, his rule, his reign. And everything else will be sorted out. Just maybe not in the way that you think. In this house... We are real. But we also make mistakes. And when we do, we make sure we say sorry. We give second chances to anyone. And we also have lots of fun. In this house, we definitely forgive. We also do loud. We give the best hugs. We are family. And in this house, that means we we love. love.